Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. Today, we're talking about Jericho, a CBS television series starring Skeet Ulrich that ran for 22 episodes from 2006 to 2007, and then, following a successful fan campaign, came back for a second and final season in 2008. If you haven't seen it or want to revisit it before listening to the podcast, it's currently streaming on Netflix. For listeners not familiar with the premise of the show, it was about the fictional city of Jericho, Kansas, in the aftermath of a limited nuclear attack on the United States. At Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter for the first season is 48%, and while the second season clocked in with a markedly improved 60%, the series was canceled after only seven more episodes. But here on Below the Line, as always, we're not focused on what the critics thought. My guests are crew from the show. First, Jericho's onset dresser, Mike Loomer, or simply Loomer, as he's known within the industry. Loomer, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks, kid. Glad to be here. Loomer, over at INDB, you've got a ton of credits. What are the ones that have kept you busy, and what are you working on now? Oh, well, I just wrapped up uh, Speechless for ABC, and I'm rolling out the spring slump like everybody else, uh, looking for another project. Uh, Loomer, good uh, luck with that, and glad you've got time to join us today. Next, Tom Seymour, Special Effects. Tom, welcome. Thanks, you skids. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Tom, your IMD page has quite a few movie credits, but I understand you've been working at Criminal Minds for more than a decade now. Tell us about that. That is correct. Uh, Criminal Minds uh, has been on the air for 15 seasons. Uh, I've been there for 10, uh, but that train's coming into the station. Uh, we will be wrapping for good on May 10th. Wow, Tom, that'll be a good time for a retrospective. Uh, I hope you'll put on your calendar. We'll get you back on the show. Great. Finally, we've got one of the department grips, Mike Morales, also known as Big Money Mike. Mike, how are you today? I'm swell, brother. Thank you for having me. So, Mike, what have you been doing since Jericho? Man, uh, I got to say, one of my claim to fame is I just wrapped uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, of all the projects I've done since Jericho, uh, this is without a doubt the one that's probably going to last with me and have the same impact as Jericho did for many years to come. You know, Mike, for uh, frequent listeners to the show will know that I had a couple of folks on in a previous episode who also worked on that show, Mike, let's stay in the loop. We're going to talk about that movie when it comes out. So glad to you have got you. It. I'm sure I'll be back for that. <laughs> yes, sir. And so finally today, we're actually joined by a fourth guest, Jason Moore, also known by his online handle, Rubber Poultry. Jason did not work on the set of Jericho, but rather Jason was a key figure in the fan campaign that saved the show. Jason, thanks for joining us here on Below the Line. It's good. It's great to be with you all. So, Jason, what do you do in real life? I'm a graphic artist, uh, video producer, public speaker. I do lots of different things. Well, Jason, as a key figure in the fan campaign, we're very interested to get your input there. But first, let's set some context for the show itself. Tell me, guys, more about what your shoot days were like. First of all, where was the show based? Um, we shot the show on a back lot on warehouses in Van Nuys, California, and at a ranch uh, out in Simi Valley called uh, Big Sky Ranch. It's also where they shot uh, Little House on the Prairie. Uh, and then uh, we kind of were at those two main locations with breakouts here and there. And how many days did you have per episode? Boy, I, I don't remember. remember. I think it was eight. It was, it eight. was uh, seven, according to no, uh, our, no. our seven and eight. Uh, first season was eight. And then in the second season, I heard the budget was slashed like $9 an episode. So it was down to seven. But normally it's eight days, and that's what it was on uh, Jericho first season. So about how far is uh, that ranch from downtown L.A.? You guys were driving out there every day? Oh, 
it was feet inside the zone, just inches. I, I mean, I think they maybe stretched the line out a little farther just to keep it inside. But yeah, it was it was right there. And, and Wilbur, when you say uh, that they were inside the zone, it's meaning that uh, they didn't have to pay you any location or travel to get there. You're expected to report with uh, at a regular call time, no extra, no, no extra accommodation for the distance. Yeah, I, I think they bust us from the dirt parking lot into the dirt field because it was <laughs> that close. <laughs> and for those the people that don't know what the zone is, it's typically 30 miles. They can travel you 30 miles, uh, you know, on your time and your dime. No, but Tom, where is the 30 miles from? Is it like from the city, like La Brea and something? La Brea it was, it was from the courthouse originally, but you can now define your zone differently by where, uh, oh, come on. By where you're at. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk union contracts all day long. That's a whole other podcast. That'll be a, whole, that'll be a whole other podcast. We'll talk about the contracts. So, you know, guys, so already starting out, this sounds like a difficult environment to do the kind of shoot where – you're out in the middle of the wilderness. You're talking about, you know, it's basically post-apocalypse, although Jericho is pretty good shape through the course of the series. Guns, fighting, remote locations. This, guys, this just sounds exhausting. you got to tell me it was uh, more fun than that. Uh, the show was really difficult. <laughs> it was a hard show. Yeah. It was a really hard show. Um, but, you know, our cast and our crew is what made the show worth doing i mean the storylines were were amazing and i mean i remember those days when scripts would come out and everybody would just you couldn't drop what you were doing but every free second you were fumbling through to read what was just happening in the next script not breaking it down just seeing what happened did you guys get your scripts well in advance i mean in other words did you have a good sense on the crew side how much of a plan they had in advance for where the show was going uh, no, <laughs> we, we typically get, uh, yeah, we typically, we would get the new script on day one of the script we were shooting or the episode we were shooting skids. Something I would like to mention though, that kind of funny to set the context when my boss, uh, JD street, who is the effects coordinator, when he was contacted, uh, to do the show, he said, uh, okay, you know, it's like, uh, based on the premise, I'd like to start with myself and two guys uh, full time, uh, that being myself and Charles Cooley. And their response to JD was, it's like, well, it's really not going to be that kind of a show. It's going to be more character driven. There's not going to be a lot of action. And that's not the way we're envisioning it. And he said, well, given that the premise is post-apocalyptic America, he goes, I think you're wrong about that. He goes, so can we just start with me and two and then see where we go from there? And they're like, well, okay. And it turned into JD, myself, Charles Cooley, and at least three other guys at least three days per episode. So it turned into quite a, more of a, an action kind of show than mm-hmm. they first envisioned. You know, Tom, let me ask some follow-up questions on that. So typically on a show with special effects, what kind of full-time department are they going to have? How many folks? It, it depends a lot on the show, but, uh, you know, because special effects is kind of a luxury department, you know, every show, no matter what it is, a romantic comedy, uh, you know, action thriller, whatever, everybody needs camera, lights, wardrobe, set dressing, props, but not every show is effects heavy. So on a, you know, on a small show that's not effects heavy, you may only have a coordinator full time and then, you know, an assistant that bounces in 
a, a couple of days per episode. And then, you know, you bring on extra people as you need them. But, you know, if you've got a big action adventure show, you know, something like SWAT or something like that, then you may have, you know, a four or five person crew full time. Well, we're talking about getting involved with the show. Mike, what, uh, anything unique about the grip department on this? How did you get involved? Okay. In the grip department, you have the key grip, then you have the best boy grip, then you have the two dolly grips, which move the camera. And then you have usually your three or four regular worker bee grips. I was a worker bee. And I got a call from the best boy grip, whose name coincidentally was Jack Bauer. That was his name. <laughs> you remember that time, Jack? And uh, he's retired now. He's, he and I are still dear friends. He lives in uh, Idaho. But he called me up and said that one of his grips could not take the physicality. He could not take the heat uh, because uh, I think we were filming the summer of 06. I, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm not. He said, all right, well, you're starting on Monday. And that's it. And I came in there and two other grips and we hit the ground running. It, and that's how I came to be. And I just never left. What Tom said was right where, you know, I guess they thought it was going to be this character thing. And then I remember in the grip department, we always had about three or four extra grips every time we went out. We had to. The grips, when everyone says, what is a grip and what do they do? It's very hard to try and explain it to the layman. You know, we do the set lighting. We push the camera with the, with, on the dolly. We do the rigging. We, we shape the light. You know, what, what would you say, Tom? I mean, we're like uh, someone once said that uh, the grips are the, the Marines of the Hollywood industry. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I yeah. prefer Navy SEAL. But yeah, <laughs> we're, we're pretty much we're badasses. Or we used to be. And uh, it, it was just so physical, man. We had to build these, these, these big frames, and it was cold, and we were a big sky. And, and there were snakes, and I'm not a big fan of snakes. And, and it was <laughs> dusty, and it was dirty, and it, it was just so hard. And I remember this. Oh, Tom, tell me if I'm wrong. When we had to do, like, the snow. When we, had, we had a tank on there once. I remember we had to do snow, and for whatever reason, we're shooting up there in Van Nuys, where I believe they shot the peach pit for Beverly Hills 90210. The fake snow made it feel like it was colder. <laughs> I remember that. So it was freezing. I I remember that too. One night we were out at Big Sky and we were doing fake snow and, and it, we were shooting at night and it was, it was chilly out there to begin with. And I remember the, one of the, the first AD came up to me and he goes, I realize that it's fake snow on the ground and it's fake snow that you're blowing through the air. And he goes, but you've made it 30 degrees colder. Yeah. How, how did that happen? I never forgot that. That's right. That had to be a Joe Latito. Jolo. Yeah, be Joe. <laughs> so, I mean, there's always room for Jolo. Is that right, <laughs> Yes. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> you know, out at Big Sky Ranch, there was never a temperate day. It was no. either blazing ass hot or no. freezing ass cold. There was no yeah. nice day. It was one or the other. And, and dirt, remember, whether it was hot or cold, there was always dirt. Yeah. You go home and you take a shower and you just watch mud run yeah. into the drain. It was, yeah. <sighs> But we, it was dirty and it was hot and we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, besides the weather, tell me about some of the other challenges on the show. I remember one of the shootout scenes. It had to be near the end where oh, the town is, is corralling together. and It's going to be the big deal. It might have been before Skeet says nuts. But I remember there were so many background extras. And as a grip, I'm just speaking selfishly here. It's very hard to maneuver through them and work them and they're, cause they're just always in the way. And we always have big, heavy things on our shoulders. We're always trying to get through and they, they want so badly to be a part of something. And they just, they, they get in the way 
of a guy like me trying to set up this big rig or build this big frame or move this big condor. I remember that. Yeah, and I remember that too where we had all of these background but only enough background to make one army at a time. <laughs> so we would shoot one direction and then those guys would like just change jackets with each other wow. and take off their hats and then it was like now you're the Newburn army. And, <laughs> right. Uh, oh Newburn. Oh man, it was uh I think it was the brutality of that that really drew everybody together because we you know, obviously every show is short staffed and underfunded. So we were all helping each other. We all knew, you know, we knew Mike's struggle to get up that hill, but we knew Tom's struggle of trying to rig the snow and not ruin it every time, you know, we walked through it. We just all, you know, we cared about each other and we cared about the product that we were making. And that was, that was top down. That was actors, directors, crew. And, and like, I vividly remember, you know, regularly the actors would never go to set or would never go to their trailers. They'd stay on set. They'd stay in their chairs. They'd read and rehearse there. And it was often enough that I can recall it happening that number one on the call sheet, number two on the call sheet, were on the other end of the sofa picking it up with me to carry it out of the set. It was often enough that those guys were, were just as invested in the show as we were. Or vice versa, depending on how you're looking at it. If I may, I'd like to jump in on that. Now, this show took place. We, we filmed it from uh, July 06 to about April 07. And let me tell you why that show ruined me for all the shows and all the years to come. And I'll tell you why. That had just been about my second or third show. I was still kind of a new grip for been five or six years. I was mainly doing commercials and music videos. So I'd never done a show. So he's right. Skeet Ulrich uh, would be there talking to you and hanging out. So I didn't know that there was kind of a divide between the actors and the crew, which I would later experience in my career. So I, you know, I might just go up to Brad Pitt and say, hey, what's happening, dude? And be like, hey, 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 you can't really do that. <laughs> I said, but I was just hanging out with Lenny James. And, you know, and then I realized, oh, okay, that was just Jericho. It really was that show. Uh, Lenny James and I would have conversations about uh, certain records and, and Skeet Ulrich. In fact, if I may, a oh, quick tangent, I had become in my career the t-shirt guy in that I always wore cool t-shirts. And Tom, I remember you saying to me, and I quote, you really have some rad t-shirts. Well, Skeet Ulrich had said to me, Mike, that's a cool t-shirt. It, it was a Dr. Seuss t-shirt, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. And, and then I just wore another one and then he would always comment. So then that just became my niche. Uh, and then that's what I started doing. And it all stemmed from Jericho. So I realized that after Jericho, the actors may not be as warm. The actors are gonna go to their trailers. But on Jericho, we were all in it to win it. I remember Skeet helping lay Dolly track once. You will not find an actor doing that. And Lenny James, who went off to become the mega movie star he's become, yeah, he, he was just an ordinary mo. Jericho was uh, the catalyst for me in realizing that no shows were like that. You know, when everyone says, oh, this is the best show ever. I tell him, no, I've been on the best show ever. And, uh, you know, this ain't it, whatever that may be. <laughs> but uh, that, that being that. I absolutely agree with Mike. You know, we, on literally every show that we, you work on at the rap party, it's, they're the greatest crew ever. We're taking you on our next show. You're, I can't believe how great. We love you all, blah, blah, blah. Never, you know, ghost out. Never hear from them again. But we as crew members are always looking for that perfect situation again um, where everything clicks. And when you hear that, just like Mike said, when you hear, you're the best crew ever, 
no, no, we've been on that crew already. But we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to find it again. Yeah. And do you think, you guys, a question for you. Do you think that only comes on the really difficult shows, that that's what brings people together? Or are there other factors that, that make a show work the way you're describing mm-hmm. Jericho? I, it seems in my career, I've always gotten the, the, the murderous jobs that just physically beat you down. And I have to say, no, it, 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 for whatever reason, the gumbo that, that was the, the crew of Jericho, you know, I, I talked, in fact, Tom, what was the name of the guy that would come on your unit or your, your, your uh, department? He had the hat, like the Crocodile Dundee hat. Uh, it, it was Tom Zell or Bob Amundsen. It might have been Tom. Yeah. And he and I saw each other a couple years later, and he said that in all his 90 years of experience, <laughs> he said he has never been on a show before or since where he saw that chemistry. It was something about that crew. You know, when I see one of the camera operators who are now a DP today, and by that I mean it's director of photography for those who don't know, or I see a guy who was an electrician, now he's a, he's a gaffer. We always talk about Jericho, and we talk about that and how much we miss that. Because I've been on harder shows, and I think that you know we wind up hating each other is true. It's, it's it's nothing that can be explained. So I've just come to understand that Hollywood is just a beatdown, and I'd much rather uh, watch movies than make them. It, it, again, to reiterate what Mike and Loomer said, and it's hard to put our finger on how this happened, but on every job you work on, every show like that, you always meet a couple of people that are really exceptional human beings. They're they're pleasant, they're polite, they're helpful, they're empathetic. You know, they're not just, you know, absorbed in their own little world. You know, you meet those people on, on every job you work on. For whatever reason, on Jericho, it's like all those people got on the same show, mm-hmm. you know. And as a friend of mine said, you know, uh, one time, he goes, there's, there's people that show up to work in the morning to do as little as possible, and there's people who show up to do as much as possible. And all of those as much as possible people were all on Jericho. Everybody helped everybody else. Everybody was respectful of everybody else. There was very little of the, you know, ooh, that's not my job, you know. Yeah, mentality. you know, very we true. Get the job done. I hate to interrupt you, Tom, but that's so true because, like I said, when I left Jericho, I just expected, okay, well, this is much be what shows are like. And I found that that's not it at all. That was not the case. And that's when I started to become very uh, uh, begrudging towards TV. And I realized, okay, well, this is just a beat down. This is just a job. And Jericho just ruined it for me. It's like, I guess if you're in a great relationship and then that breaks up and then whoever you go to see afterward, then they never compare to Superman. You know, like Lois once told him, you're a tough act to follow. Well, that's just what Jericho was. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do know that. <laughs> so guys, are there specific scenes or episodes that strike you guys as particularly challenging that maybe you wouldn't have been able to handle without a crew as in sync as you guys were? Boy, there's a, there's a couple that come to mind that, um, that whole battle sequence episode, uh, the very last one was, it it was a monster just on paper, but then the actual, you know, getting it on, on film was, was tough too. But, uh, you know, that was back in the days of heavy film cameras too. No, no Preston remotes. I remember a hundred yard long dolly shot with a two headed monster with two film cameras. So you've got two operators, two focus pullers and the boom man who was Patrick Martins. He's an 11 foot tall boom man Um, (laughs) all on one dolly being pushed through our main street. Well, uh, skeets running down the street. I remember that. 
Tom could tell you about blowing up cars that didn't actually flip over. You know, <laughs> I mean, there was there was a lot of stuff in there, but that last episode I think was the toughest one. That's also what isn't that when uh, the dad died was in that episode too? So it was emotional. It was physically huge. To follow up on that, yeah, the the last couple of episodes for season one, where we were getting into the uh, into the conflict between uh, Jericho and New Bern, the uh, the neighboring town, you know, that was very effects heavy because we were you know exploding mortar shells and blowing up cars, and then there was the big showdown, you know, between the two, a lot of gunplay, you know, and explosions going off there, and so you know we had a lot of extra guys, you know, we had, and all the regular challenges, you know, we were, we were out on a remote location. We had lots of extras, you know, so those, those were tough ones. I remember the morning we were going to do this big battle scene. JD gathered all the effects guys at the back of the trailer. And he said, uh, he said, okay, he goes, you know, we've got a busy day today. We've got a lot to do. This is, you know, it's a very ambitious schedule. They got a lot, you know, on paper that they're trying to accomplish today. And he goes, and we're going to work as quickly and as efficiently as we can. And he goes, but weirdly enough, and he goes, part of our job today is to be the voice of reason. And he goes, and keep people from getting into trouble. <laughs> but yeah, it's a common um, observance on sets, television sets, particularly when they are under crunch, but big ambitions for special effects that sometimes people move a little too fast and it can be, it can be dangerous. You read about it in the news, but, uh, uh, but uh, you're saying, uh, you, you had those pressures on Jericho or things were synced up? And I, I, I don't know of any reports of people getting hurt, but there was a ton of stuff going on in those last episodes. I, no one really got hurt, but uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of snakes at all. And I don't know if you <laughs> or Loomer, Tom, remember when that snake, yeah, everybody remember that. There was this snake, uh, one of the cranes moved, and it looked like it was a 90-foot python to me. And as soon as I saw that snake, this is a big sky, I took off. And I wouldn't even come back to set anymore. And then there were just snakes everywhere. And I just have a problem with that. Um, so that's all that I remember. But as far as anyone getting you know, badly hurt, no, nothing that I can remember. So maybe some psychological scarring. Very much so. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I remember as a grip, one of our carts went over the hill, the house on the hill. Yep. And one of the grip carts just rolled over. Boom! <laughs> and then, and then, and then, no, 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 not to be undone. One of the trucks, the Teamsters, Bobby, I think his name was, He, uh, one of the, the trucks fell into the ravine. We had to get the truck out. Um, so, you know, it, it was like any other kind of messed up situation. But no, to my, my memory does not serve of anyone ever getting hurt. Not badly. I have to agree. We were very fortunate. Nobody, you know, nobody ever got hurt. But just, again, on those days, you know, when there's a lot going on, you have to make sure that you don't, especially in the effects business, when we're doing dangerous things or, you know, you have to make sure that you're not getting caught up in the frenzy of it's like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to make our day, we got to make our day. It's like, yes, we're with you, but it's never worth anybody getting hurt. I had a severe allergy attack uh, <laughs> with a turkey. <laughs> that, uh, uh, yeah, that, that put me down for for the day. I was Benadryled out for the rest of the day. Was, uh, <laughs> trying to get my lungs to open back up, but yeah, that was a that was an exciting <laughs> adventure. Loomer, I actually have a follow up question. You speaking of those uh, last uh, episodes and the big battle around the house on the hill? Uh, spoiler alert! Obviously, if you listen to the podcast, hopefully you prepped yourself for that ahead of time. But uh, when the dad dies, for example, did you guys shoot all those house interiors on location, or did you guys have a lot or studio with those sets? Uh, that particular house we shot on location 
it, it had a, a ground floor and stairs that went up to a, a non-existent second floor. But yeah, we shot we shot a lot of that house out there. It was uh, yeah. ours permanently for the run of the show. Um, because it's not, it wasn't a real house. It was a, as you said, it was on the ranch. It was a movie house, if you will. Did the walls move and such? Like uh, Mike, maybe you want to speak to that. Was it any of the advantages you have as a grip that you can rearrange the rooms or? No, no it was. It's a practical location. In fact, I've done other jobs since then. Yeah, when you want to move a wall, you, it's there. It's it's a house. It's a structure. But when we're on stage, we have the walls that we unscrew them. They can come out. So we can put a camera where we need to. But no, not in that location. Those are all practical locations. Yeah, about the only benefit you had is not having the second floor we could light from the uh, the rafter areas above. Correct. That was about that was about it. And I don't know if they finished that second floor since we've been in there. I don't believe so. I was there in the last couple of years, and it's still there the same way it was. Uh, well, Loomer, to, to, to follow up with you on that point, you might be the first set dress we've had on the show. And so folks who aren't aware, um, you're responsible for making sure that as the camera moves through, and you, like you mentioned, moving out the couch or have to make room for shooting or whatever's going on, that everything gets back where it's supposed to be exactly. That seems real challenging if there's not like a separate area side of you actually taking stuff literally out of the house in and out. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the modern way of television production is you build the sets wall to wall in the studio. So there's no spots anywhere, any anytime nowadays. It was a little easier when we were on the stages in North Hollywood because there was some space around the sets in there. But uh, out of the house, it was difficult. But along those lines, uh, my wife reminded me of uh, uh, something between seasons one and two. You know, we got canceled. The show was done. Everything was returned. And then the show got brought back. And some of the things that we had rented for season one were already out on new shows. So I remember fielding questions from people that were like, all right, in season one, in the greenhouse, there was a matchstick holder at the right end of the mantelpiece that wasn't there in season two. What was the significance of that? And you'd have to, you just have to, uh, yeah, somebody else rented that. Or, you know, we couldn't, couldn't find it again at the prop house because prop houses are massive. And we did the best we could, but the show was canceled. And then they're like, okay, 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 we'll make another one. And so we had to quick put it all back together and try and go again. And uh, it, it was difficult. You know, that's a good segue for talking about the cancellation of the show. So first, did you guys know when you were filming the final episodes that it was going to be the end of the show, first season? No, absolutely not. We had solid numbers throughout the, the, the run. The writers and producers always told us, hey, the network said you don't have to hit a home run, but get us on second. We felt, and the numbers showed that we had, we'd hit a triple. You know, we had good numbers. We were winning our time slots regularly, but uh, you're not going to get Dallas numbers anymore. <laughs> well, you know, and, uh, and so, Jason, this is a good time to bring you back to the conversation. So outside the show, you don't know any of these guys at this point. It's just a show you enjoy. Tell us more about where you were and how that went down. Well, I want to start by saying, for the record, I wasn't one of those people that was so anal about the details. <laughs> I was contacting Loomer to figure out what props – you know, there was there was a mystery around this show, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but that wasn't that wasn't my uh, mo as I watched. With television, it's it's always uh, a little frustrating to get invested in a show. I like almost want to wait now till the second or third season to decide if I want to watch something because you get invested in it and then it goes away. And Jericho was this show that was like it just every week was pretty incredible, and they ended on this amazing kind of cliffhanger where. 
like the patriarch of the whole show, Johnson Green, uh, is is killed. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be incredible. Wait till season two. And then the thing gets canceled. The fans just went nuts. And I remember one day I was uh, searching for something. I don't remember. And I saw a little blurb on there that said, if it's up to Jericho fans, Jericho may get a second season. And it had already been canceled. So I clicked on the link to, to figure out, like, what is this all about? And found out that some fans had organized a protest of sorts to bring the show back. Uh, in the last episode, there's a story that is told about the famous speech from the Battle of the Bulge uh, where the words nuts was uttered. And that's really where it all came from. Uh, a fan came up with the idea that we should send CBS peanuts as a, a protest to, to bring the show back. <laughs> Over the course of two weeks, 40 tons of peanuts ended up on the lots at Jericho, you know, fans were very passionate about that. Uh, so I, I, I was somebody who helped to organize in a way, but I'm a, a video producer, graphic artist, that sort of thing. And I made a, a season two uh, trailer. The show had been canceled. So this is in the period between when it was canceled and when it came back to sort of get everybody fired up. Like this is what season two would look like. And the fans just kind of went crazy, uh, not just because of what I did. There were multiple efforts. Uh, fans were raising money. They did a billboard. They did an ad. Oh, gosh, what was it? Hollywood Reporter. I mean, there was all the stuff that was happening, and, and CBS was paying attention. I, I, I have to ask, uh, Jason, so you're saying that you were instrumental in getting the show back. You were one of the – because, see, and I don't want to insult anyone. I don't know what's the correct uh, uh, moniker, Trekkie or Trekker. But this almost seems Star Trek-like in its, its fandom as far as the, the, the fans. I will say I was just one of a handful of people. So it wasn't, I wasn't like the guy at the top or anything. I was um, among a handful of people. And so uh, there was a guy um, who's passed away named Sean Omack uh, that had a blog talk radio show. And he was the one that came up with the idea for We Should Send Nuts to CBS. <laughs> And what happened was he was actually able to get a number of the producers and writers and actually Loomer, that's where I got to know Loomer, was on that show. And so I called in and I said, uh, you all may know me as Rubber Poultry. And they're like, oh my gosh, you did that trailer. And I said, yeah, that was me. And uh, they said, oh, we loved it. We're watching. We're, we're paying attention. And if you can come to uh, Comic-Con this year, we'd love to meet you. And so I, I went to Comic-Con. Uh, I stood up at one of those microphones in a room full of 2,000 people and said, you all may know me as Robert Poultry. And the whole panel stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And then the, the, the crowd turned around like, oh, my gosh. And who is this? Ah. And so well, that, like, the crowd all knew who you were, too. <laughs> well, that's, I wow. guess that's true to an extent. So I was invited back to the green room to hang out with uh, Skeet Ulrich and uh, Lenny James and yeah. – and, and Ashley, four or five of the principal actors, and I got to know some of the writers. And so I think the show had been brought back at that point. And what began to happen was that I was communicating pretty regularly with the producers and the writers and people like Loomer. I would sort of communicate to the fans some of the, I mean, everything uh, was on, you know, I was, I was sort of cleared to say certain things. And I became almost like this fan liaison between, and I was not the only person, but I was one of the people. And so another really interesting thing that came out of all this is that um, as a result of the show coming back and having a, a role in it, I, I formed relationships 
I do uh, speaking engagements on, on creativity and collaboration and stuff like that. And I had something in LA and I, I got, I think it was like 14 or 15 people from the show, including crew members, uh, principal actors, producers, writers, and we all had uh, dinner together and I've kind of maintained these relationships. So I never wow. expected to be a, a fan in the beginning, love the show, tried to help do a few things. And then uh, unfortunately I got invited to the set, but unfortunately it was after they had finished shooting the second yeah. season. So I, yeah. I got to walk on main street of Jericho, but it was in, in decay and falling. Apart. <laughs> uh, so let me go back to the crew on this guys. In, you hear the show's canceled, and suddenly there's this fan campaign. Are you aware of the campaign that it's going on, or did you just get a call to come back for a second season unexpectedly? Well, I was still on the show um, in wrap. We, we were wrapping the sets, getting everything returned to the prop house, doing an inventory. While the Nuts campaign was started, and there were a, a couple of um, – like our network showrunner – kind of came in and said why don't you guys drag your feet a little bit and let's see what happens <laughs> and um so you know we kind of were watching and 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 looking at the stuff that was coming coming i mean the, the tons and tons of nuts being delivered to new york city i mean i remember seeing pictures of the entire hallway one side of the hallway was pallets of nuts like seven feet tall <laughs> as far down this hallway as you could see. And that was just at one of the buildings. They were sending them to LA too. And at some point they started, the CBS was bringing them over and dropping them in our warehouse just because we were there. So as we kind of drug our feet prepping it, then all of a sudden they're like, okay, you get some more. So then we immediately went back into going and getting everything we had just returned and bringing it back to the stages. I mean, it was a, it was a roller coaster ride you know, I don't want to say emotionally because we all know shows get canceled. We all know we move on to other shows. But to watch what what the fans were saying was making a difference was amazing. And I mean, there's a handful of shows that have maybe gotten close to what we what happened with Jericho, but nothing to the same degree or the same outcome as what happened with Jericho. What, one other thing uh, might add here is that this was all taking place right around the time of the writer's strike. And so everything was a little crazy in Hollywood at that time. And, and I think that that probably provided at least some additional support for moving back into production, given that uh, the strike was, we were in the middle of the AMPTP fighting with the writers and, and all of that, the uh, writers guild of America. Yeah. When uh, when the show got canceled, we were all we were all sad about that because we had enjoyed working on it so much, and we were really hoping for a second season, and uh, you know with you know more cool stuff to do and to work with the same great people. But you know we heard the plug got pulled, and it's like that's just the nature of the beast. But probably at that point, the the producers had taken basically taken about eighty percent of the crew from Jericho and rolled right onto the show called Kane yeah. uh, with Jimmy Smits and uh, Hector Elizondo and Rita Moreno. And uh, so we went right into that. And so we were in pre-production on that. I think we might've been in production when, you know, when the whole nuts campaign started and then, you know, kind of remarkably they're like, Oh, they've approved the second season for Jericho. And, but we were already committed to this other show. So we couldn't, we couldn't go back, unfortunately. But uh, for us, we were, 
we were working with uh, my boss, JD, found somebody to take over, you know, as the effects coordinator, you know, on the second season of Jericho. And then we were trying to kind of hand off all the information to them of like what, you know, precedents we had set and, you know, how we had gone about things, you know, so it was a, you know, a smooth transition and things, you know, the look and things stayed consistent. But then at that point, you know, then the rest of us were on to, on to Kane and had our hands full with that. So Tom, you think the second season held up? You know, I, you know, I watched, you know, I watched the second season and, and actually um, there was a couple of times where just the schedule allowed it where uh, a few of us went and worked a couple of days on season two. You know, we went and played hooky from Kane for a couple of days and went on to Jericho 2.0 for a couple of days. You know, the, the opening scene of the second season where the, where the army comes in and lays down the napalm run, you know, to separate the two warring factions, you know, I went, you know, I played hooky from Kane to go help on that. I was going to mention, Tom, uh, the opening scene was actually in the jail where, where all of the sheriffs were eating peanuts, which was this huge laugh and roar from all the fans because you know we all knew what that was it was just a prop in that episode but uh everybody kind of went crazy when when we saw it. we were having viewing parties and things at that time wow is this real oh my goodness you know um jason with uh with, with as far as the fans went i started to become a fan of lenny james character because at the time lost was on tv and lost was this whole mystery thing and was it so mystic? And who's this guy? And, and I kept asking him, what, what is your story, man? Are you some kind of super secret James Bond agent? And he says, oh, I can't tell you. <laughs> and I don't think that his character backstory was ever fleshed out correctly. Uh, am, am I right? Am I wrong? Well, we, I don't, we don't know. I, I don't know that uh, we ever got the answers we were looking right. for. But, but in hanging out with Lenny a couple times, and also uh, two of the writers I became pretty close with, they were telling me that he was involved in sort of helping write some of that backstory. Uh, right on Lenny. He had some influence in, in where his character went. Uh, one other thing to mention is that after the third season was canceled, they actually did a comic book, which tells the story moving forward. Uh, and, and so there's, they called it, I think it was the season three uh, civil war, but it was all in comic book form, not on television. See, wow. Mike, when you're between jobs, you can go find that. You can catch up on uh, catch up on what you missed there. Yeah, that's a good. What? <laughs> and I, I just so ha- got the book. <laughs> I just so happened to be asked by the the producers uh, to do the cover for the compilation where they put all of them together. So that was another wow. one of those kind of pinch yourself moments where you're a fan of a show and then you actually get to work with the people, uh, which was pretty incredible. I had my own personal uh, disdain for the show working just talking as a, a worker bee because we just got our butts kicked as grips so for me when i heard the show was canceled it was kind of bittersweet i was like all right cool i have to go back to that but i was sad that i wouldn't see this crew and and, and that's true so tom was right it was only about 80 percent of us when we went to Kane, and i remember looking around like where's loomer what's going on and i would see loomer two shows later uh in 08 called uh, uh what was that show called raising the bar yep raising the bar yeah. But I got, I got to visit you there. <laughs> oh, did you come to that set? I, I did come to that set. Okay, because but then Tom wasn't there, so we started splintering out, and you, you then you started to realize, well, Jericho was something that happened, and it's never going to happen again, and you're never going to capture that again. And, and I'm embarrassed to say that that's absolutely correct. I've never gotten that, but that's a whole other tangent. Wow, there's comics I didn't know, and you talk about between jobs. I'm 
I'm day playing right now. So I want to get my hands on this Jericho comic. I, I can't believe this is real. I got to see this. <laughs> Micah, I hate to tell you, it's hard to come by. It is hard <laughs> to come by. Because I, you know, wow. I, didn't, I didn't know about the compilation book. I knew about some of the individual ones. Right. So I have a couple of the individual ones. But I need to get that compilation one. And I've been looking. And it's hard to get. Man. It's a popular book, man. I think it's because yeah. I did the cover, but you know that's what right. it is. <laughs> that's right. Rub a it's because in the, the house. <laughs> it's because the prison in it is called Loomer Ridge. I don't know that's why right. that happened. Yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Loomer, I want to ask you more about the second season. So you're back on set. Is it correct that you guys knew it was going to be seven episodes, or was there a thought that that might go longer that second season? We knew that that second season was only going to be seven, and you know they slashed the budget. They, um, you know, we didn't have an air date or anything like that. So it kind of felt like it was a put on, but we still did the best we could with it. And unfortunately we lost, you know, we lost so much of our, our, our core crew to Kane that couldn't come back that we were starting fresh with guys that, that didn't really know how it worked and, and how everything ran. And I would come across that as a set dresser when the, uh, a uh, new director would come in and go, okay, can we get some people carrying grocery bags out of that grocery store? And you just go, nope. <laughs> nope, that thing was looted in in, scene, or in episode four. That thing's empty. There's nothing in there for them to bring out. Like, well, what are they supposed to do? Wander around and look sad. Give them a backpack and a gun. That's it. And it was trying to dress people, you know, prop-wise and, and stuff like that. It, it became more difficult not having our, our family unit there again. But it was a little bit tougher. And then knowing that the, that it was only seven also made it difficult. And then we also kept getting uh, um, kind of bizarre notes from the, the studio. Like, uh, Oh, you got to make the scene sexier. It's the apocalypse. It's not sexy. It's not sexy time here in the apocalypse. It can't be like that. I remember, you know, some of the, uh, I won't name names, but sitting in the cast chair, scratching their heads going, has anybody watched this show? And that was kind of the, the, the bummer about it is that we knew we were making something that was great that people liked. And it seemed like the network just didn't get it. And that, that was disappointing. And I, and I remember on, on the final, you know, the final night of shooting, you know, Skeet is over Lenny in the ambulance and they got this note from the studio, like, you know, Skeet needs to, to reach down and caress Lenny or touch him in some way. And, and I remember the actors just kind of going, okay, that's, that's not anywhere what, what our dynamic is in this show. And so I remember them both doing the scene, and then they're like, okay, now we'll do the alternate, which is the, the, the touch. And they do the scene, and like Skeet kind of taps him on the shoulder, and they both look at the camera and kind of go like, is that what you were looking for? <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously that, uh, yeah. It, there, it, was, it was disappointing that the network didn't go, holy shit, people love this show. Let's go at it gangbuster style. And instead right. they're like, eh, let's get this booger off our, off our finger and, you know, give them what they want just so they'll go away. That was disappointing. So there were no alternate endings or, you know, if they had come back for a third season, something might have aired differently. Because there's – it leaves open the future story, as Jason mentioned, that's uh, told in the comic books, but it does reach a much more, shall we say, precise conclusion than the first season did, which ended on that huge cliffhanger of what the battle just about to start. 
Yeah, I think we did shoot an, an alternate, but uh, I, I don't honestly remember what it was. It's been 13 years, <laughs> you know. And what I remember about the show was the people on it and the, the people involved in saving it. Uh, you know, the, the story was good and I enjoyed the story, but I mean, I, I get still asked questions from people that are like, hey, in episode, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I mean, was that the one with the tank? Is that the one where the National <laughs> Guards came in? Is that the one where the generator fell out of the sky? Is that the one, you know, I, I don't, like, I don't know the answers to those questions when people ask, but I, I you know, I love the show and I love the people on the show more than that. Loomer, didn't it come back as a mid-season replacement even? I think they had the episode shot and they delayed them or something, didn't, didn't they? Yes. Our time slot was, uh, was taken by the juggernaut series of Viva Laughlin, um, <laughs> which got like, I mean, we had reasonable numbers. This thing had garbage numbers. And they they kept it on longer than they should have just to be like, see, 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 we told you. We told you it wouldn't work in this time slot. And then they brought it back as a midseason replacement. They dumped it like starting in January, like right in the middle of football season. And so it was getting pushed around from football games, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's and, right. And they, they didn't do any sort of advertising for it. Yeah, it's like they, you know – Dear CBS, I love you. Please hire me for future shows. You really played that uh, that card <laughs> badly. They could have they could have taken that show and just embraced what it was. It re- embraced what the fans did to bring that show back. And again, they just brushed it off. Like, go away now. Thank you for the nuts. We'll send those to the army. The fans loved the show so much that after it was canceled the second time, they raised eight thousand dollars donated money and had me do a national television spot for it to bring it back. And we got one of the actors from the show, Brad Beyer to, to voice it. So they were still, they wouldn't let it go. You know, they were still committed to, can we do this again? Uh, in fact, the name of the ad was uh, save Jericho again. And there was a website and everything uh, didn't happen the second time, but it does feel like CBS let go of a pretty incredible opportunity because the fans, they just had a love affair with this show and they wouldn't let go. CBS really had uh, had the tiger by the tail on this one, and and they just they you know they sadly they they let it go. Let's talk about more pleasant memories. So, Loomer, you met Jason in the course of it, and as you mentioned, thirteen years now, you guys have stayed in touch. You brought Jason in for the podcast. Like, uh, how's that develop over all these years? Well, you know, when it came to to season two, because I was one of the few people left from season one. And I have a good relationship with the um, actors, writers, producers. Um, I kind of got nominated to be uh, kind of a spokesperson from the cast or from the crew to the fans. So I was on the um, uh, the blog talk radio show a couple times. Uh, that's how I met Jason was was there. And then uh, a little ways down the road, there was a fan convention that took place in. Oakley, Kansas, which is as the the fans determined that Oakley, Kansas was as close to where the actual town of Jericho would be if Jericho was a real town. And it, it was in the middle of nowhere in, in Kansas. And I went. I went with Jason and uh, met him there. That's the first time that we actually met. But we, we became friends not only through uh, working on trying to save the show or discussing the show after it was saved, but we just became friends in real life too. 
Yeah. And uh, Jason actually, he undersells himself a little bit. He's, you know, he talks about some of the things that he did, but he doesn't talk about the massive amounts of graphics that he made that just became part of the daily flow of things that went to the public, that went to CBS, that were part of the show in an unofficial way. He made mountains of graphical work for it. And one of the things that he made that is still my, one of my most prized possessions is that in the talk, in the, in the, uh, um, the extras, in the DVD extras, they talk about um, myself and uh, the prop guy whose nickname is Dr. Booty fairly regularly. Mm. Yeah. And those actors or the producers, when they were talking about us on the show, made a joke about how we were the in-action figures because it seemed like every time they had a picture of us, we were just standing around or sitting around. Um, Jason found a still of me standing perfectly still, and he turned it into an action figure. That and he Jason? made an action figure graphic of me as the in-action figure. And then a while later, I get a package in the mail. He made the actual physical action figure of me. Right and on. it's still my actually, most, one of my most prized possessions. Actually, I brought that to you in Oakley. That was my, on opening night, that was my, my gift to you. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about all the graphics I did. My wife was like, you've got real work to do. What are you doing <laughs> all these graphics for you? Uh, the, the interesting thing about it is that CBS began to sort of take note, and I was in conversation a little bit with CBS, and I actually did a season two uh, promo that they paid me for. Uh, I think it paid a lot for it, but uh, I did a, a little teaser trailer for the second season with footage that they had given me uh, before the season. Uh, so it was actually released on the Jericho message boards and all that. But yes, I, I took a, uh, an old Batman action figure and uh, I, I took this stuff called Sculpey, which is like, uh, and I'd never used it before, but I re-sculpted Loomer over top of this Batman action figure and made the whole bubble wow. card. And, and uh, I will, uh, I will, uh, make the the link available to you all so you can kind of see that but uh, yes but, please. but what what happened as a result of that was that uh mike and i did become friends and uh and it was crazy uh i was i'm not the kind of fan that would typically go, go to a fan convention but when i heard loomer was going to be there and uh and one of the writers from the show and then uh because i had built a relationship uh the fans asked if i could drive the writer uh matthew fetterman from denver to this convention so i picked him up at the airport and we had a three and a half hour drive to this convention so i started to form these relationships and then the fans decided to put together a jericho reunion and I, I, they got like 15 principal actors gerald mcraney i think skeet came claire carey like the it was almost everybody from from the show lenny james was there uh but the only way I could afford to make it all happen uh, and still be married when it was all over uh, was to not, not spend oodles of money. And so Loomer actually said, Hey man, you can come stay with me. So I actually stayed at his apartment with him in, in LA. Uh, I mean, we, we had met each other on that weekend, but, but what happened as a result of all that uh, is that we formed this relationship, this friendship. Uh, it's, it's just kind of wild how it all, you know, you start out as a fan of something and then you're working with the people that are on it. 
Well, it sounds like a real history of relationships coming out of this show all around. Speaking to that, yeah, uh, you know, I've uh, been on the, the, the show Criminal Minds for the last 10 seasons. And in that 10 seasons, there's been some Jericho reunions there because there's been a lot of actors that have come through our show and uh, either as special guests, uh, police officers or FBI agents, or even a couple of times they were bad guys too. For example, um, Brad Beyer was on our show, Alicia Coppola, Beth Grant, Isai Morales. Isai Morales had a recurring role for a part of one season. Uh, James Ramar, D.B. Sweeney, and Ken Mitchell. Uh, interesting thing about um, Beth Grant is uh, Beth Grant played one of the serial killers, and uh, she owned a, uh, a funeral home with a crematorium, and that's how she was disposing of the bodies. So, yeah, but every time one of those people would show up and I'd see him on the call sheet and I'd go up to him and it was just like big reunion hugs and kisses. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's like, it's, you know, Jericho was so great. You know, every time, you know, that's, that's all we would talk about. You know, Tom, I might have to edit that a little bit because we didn't put a note of uh, spoilers for criminal minds. So I hope you're not giving anything away. It's not. No, no, these are all <laughs> past episodes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So folks keep coming through and, and seeing them. That's, that sounds great. And I got to say, every time I see one of these actors uh, in something else, in a TV show or a movie or whatever, I, I can't help but say to the person sitting next to me, I've had dinner with him a couple times. Yeah, I've had dinner <laughs> with her. Yeah, I know her. We've hung out. Uh, so that's always... When, when Lenny James was on, uh, when he first came on to Walking Dead, like my Facebook blew up because I'm posting pictures with me and Lenny James hanging out. And I'm like, yeah, Morgan and I, we go way back. <laughs> I remember watching Lenny James and he had just busted some zombie ass or something like that. So I, I hit Loomer up. I said, Loomer, I got to tell Lenny, who I haven't spoken to in 90 years. I said, I got to tell him what a badass he was. So I made a video and I sent it to Loomer. And Loomer sent it to Lenny because I didn't want to just be rude and ask for his number. Because he would always say, oh, Brother Michael, that's very good, Michael. So, yeah, Loomer showed me his response. He's like, well, tell Brother Michael. I said, thank you. And just to think, oh, crap, man, this guy still remembers that. I mean, that was that show. I didn't know it had this effect on human beings. I just remember what it was like to be there. Yeah, it was it was awesome being able to talk to uh to Lenny, you know, after he got on Walking Dead and just be able to send him a quick text message like, oh man, you killed it on tonight's episode. And he was you know, it would be the next morning he would get back to us. But yeah, it was it was really cool to to watch him, you know, come from kind of an obscure English actor through our show now to be, you know, the most recognizable person from The Walking Dead. He wants to be Doctor Who someday. And so uh, I have done images up of him as Doctor Who, and he's gotten a real kick out of that. It just all comes back to this show. And as I'm listening to, to Jason say here and, and Loomer, I, I, I am embarrassed that I did not know this show had such a following. I, I, I didn't. To me, it was just some job that beat me up. And I was glad it wasn't coming back, so I wouldn't have to go on it. But then I was sad when I, when I didn't get to go back. And now you're telling me there's action figures of Loomer, and there's a town in Kansas that says <laughs> that they are Jericho. This is, this is extraordinary, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm actually fortunate and, and blessed and proud to have been a part of it. I, I seriously, I sincerely mean that. Well, it's, it's certainly a show with some legs. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's available on Netflix now. Folks who aren't familiar with it, you can catch up on both seasons in full. Uh, guys, it's been great having you on the show. I do, Loomer, for you, have one question that when I was digging around doing some research before we hopped on the phone, there's a huge debate online about which 23 cities were actually blown up 
Well, well, Skid, you know, between seasons one and two, uh, some of those maps had to get returned to the prop house. We couldn't <laughs> exactly find the right maps when we came back, so we kind of had to... No. It, you know, I think it, um, it started out as uh, they had the 23 cities and they put them on a map, and then they're like, oh, crap, we kind of need something that would have been in that city, so uh, <laughs> let's, let's move it over a little bit and say it survived. I don't know that for sure, but I think that there was, um, uh, there was definitely some effort to have misdirection so that there could be future um, changes that would be plausible deniability. That makes and, sense. That makes yeah. Sense. I, I mean, I don't sure. know that for sure. Cause I'm not in their heads, but uh, I think that was kind of, kind of it. Muddy the waters a little bit. All right. Well, you guys executed on that muddy and muddy and pretty well. And if the show does come back for a third season, I expect you guys back here to talk about it. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks you bet. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, and that's a wrap on Jericho. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider rating us and leaving a comment on iTunes. It really does help new listeners find the show. Folks from today's show shared a bunch of photos and some of Jason's artwork and graphics with me. We're going to put all that up on Facebook. You can find it at Podcast Below the Line. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find us at Pod Below the Line. If you've got feedback, send an email to skid, S-K-I-D, at below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, and thanks to John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Just search for Below the Line. Oh, and I'm going to be attending the Comic-Con in San Diego this year. If any listeners are attending as well, let me know. I'll give you a sticker. Either way, join us here again in two weeks. You're only a couple letters away from being Spider-Man. How Miles so? Morales. Miles Morales is the new <laughs> Very good. I got to check this out. You're not it's that far you away. That. <laughs> you talked earlier about being around the actors and trying to play cool. I just finished last week, two weeks of reshoots for Spider-Man Far From Home. Awesome. I didn't know that. When I oh. got to work, I said, hey, guys, what are we doing? And he said, oh, just a little Marvel deal. Because when he booked me, he couldn't tell me what it was. Yeah. I said, what is it? He says, a little show called Bosco. It's like when Return of the Jedi was being filmed, oh, they yeah. called it Blue uh, Harvest. Blue Harvest. Yeah. Right. I'm, so a, I'm Bosco. a Star Wars guy, too. <laughs> okay. So I said, what is Bosco? And he said, it's Spider-Man reshoots. And I said, ah! I had to be cool. I had to, you know what I mean? Because, and then when Tom Holland walks on the set, I had to act like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, you know. I'm shitting yeah. in my pants. And so I, and then when they brought out the suit, I was like, okay, I, I know they're going to let me touch. But I talked to Wardrobe. I said, can I just touch the web shooters? So Tom, they let me touch the web shooters, and I and I just wanted so badly to go up to Spider Man and give him a hug. I'm like, oh my well, God, where am I, man? That that was something.